Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Capital Irish. Hello everyone and welcome to Capital Irish on Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM. My name is Marianne Grealis and I'll be with you for the next half hour here with Capital Irish. I thought for today's show we'd start with a wee bit of a history lesson. I found some really interesting articles um, on the RTE website and they're being published um, to commemorate the um, centenary of the foundation of the Irish state. And there's a lot of really interesting history about um, various aspects of, you know, starting a, a new state from scratch. So we stand here in February 2022, 100 years on from the establishment of the Irish Civic Guards, the first forerunner of the Garda Síochána that we know today. Um, so this article um, was, as I say, on the RTU website and it's by Shane McElhatton on the topic. And I'll give you a wee summary of it, um, but I would recommend that you seek out the article if you're interested in this part as uh, my pricey here probably won't do it justice. So the Irish Royal the Royal Irish Constabulary, the RIC, they were due to disband on the 20th of February 1922. 11 days earlier on the 9th of February, the chairman of the provincial government Michael Collins and other members of his cabinet met with some former RIC and DMC, that's the Dublin Metropolitan Constabulary. Uh, met with those members to ask them to form a committee and then make recommendations for the establishment of a new police force. And they were given three weeks to do that. Um, And the issue was urgent. Uh, Ireland was emerging from the conclusion of the War of Independence. Uh, British armed forces had, for the most part, already departed. And the RIC, as I say, um, were disbanding and and in anticipation of their dissolution in just a few short weeks, um, they had ceased to do any patrols. Many people around the country who'd been involved either in fighting the War of Independence or had wanted to and hadn't now had easy access to guns and ammunition. And what's reported to have been a crime wave was evident across the country, particularly armed robbery. So clearly we can see the need for urgency there uh, to set up a new police force. But who could help with that? Who could help establishing that new police force? There were only a few people in the country who had the experience to, to do so. Um, but just a few short weeks previously, they had been the enemy. The former RIC and DMC officers had been within the very institutions that the War of Independence had so recently been fought against. So Collins, um, understandably, though, uh, also didn't have a high level of trust in the military police of the IRA. So he decided then, to, on balance, to engage with the people he and others had been vilifying and discrediting for some time, that is to say, those former RIC and DMC officers. Uh, so McElhatton's article on the RTE website walks us through the initial setup of the Civic Guards in the first half of 1922, and originally they were an armed force. 
Um, he also walks us through how the distrust within the ranks of the Civic Guards, um, their distrust of the former RIC and DMC officers at the top of the organisation, led ultimately to um, the Civic, Civic Guard mutiny in May of that year. Uh, aided and abetted by anti-treaty elements within the Civic Guards, who then used the mutiny to raid the Civic Guard armoury in Clare and transport weapons weapons to the four courts in Dublin, where anti-treaty IRA forces were already in occupation. Now, following that mutiny, um, the Civic Guards were more or less disbanded and reformed as the Garda Siakona we know today. Um, with that mutiny and raiding of the armory being a large factor in the ultimate decision for the force to be unarmed. Now, as I say, McElhatton does a better job than I do of painting the pictures. So again, head on over to the RTE website and have a look for the series Decade of Commemorations. There you'll find a number of articles recalling the events and debates that formed the establishment of the Irish state. We'll take a break from our history lesson and we'll have some music now. Uh, we're going to listen to the Dublin Dubliners and Orosha the Vahawalia and I'll let you know afterwards why I chose it for today's show. <laughs> Oh, 
there and uh, the reason I played that song is that it nicely introduces the next topic on Capital Irish today which is podcasts. Now you might think that since the song was about Gráinne Whale, who was a pirate queen from the 16th century uh, the link between her and podcasts might be tenuous at best and to be fair you might not be wrong Um, but this past week I've been thinking about um, podcasts and how I'd like to share with our Capital Irish listeners some podcasts that you might be interested in. Uh, If you've got work to do in the garden or a room to paint um, or you know a long walk that you want to do uh, a podcast can be a great companion. Um, We're all far from home here in Wellington but there's a lot of content out there to connect us back to Ireland and though of course obviously Capital Irish will naturally be your first choice of podcast. Um, We only broadcast once a week so I thought I would share some more with you to help you fill in some of the rest of your time. Uh, The first podcast that I'm going to talk about is called Fireside and it's hosted by Kevin C. Olihan who tells stories from Irish mythology, folklore and history on his podcast, complete, I might add, with crackling fire noises and owls hooting in the background. And then he discusses the stories themselves, some of the culture and some of the history of storytelling. Uh, Now, Gronuel has been a topic of the podcast and this is our connection to Orosha the Bahawalia, um, along with many familiar figures such as uh, Finn McCool, Cucullin, St. Bridget, and so on and so forth. So if you're listening, uh, if you're interested in Irish folklore and mythology, you may well find many happy listening hours on Fireside. Let's have a wee listen to that episode on Grania Whale now. This is Grania Whale, Ireland's pirate queen on Fireside. <laughs> Grania Whale, Ireland's Pirate Queen. Never has the function of folklore been better exemplified than with the preserving of the legend of Grace O'Malley, or as she became known as, Grania Whale. Grace lived in an Ireland which had once held a matriarchal sway in the time of the Celts, but in the 1,000 years since the rise of Christianity and of Roman law, the role of women had been completely reduced to childbearing and marriage dowries. 
Indeed, despite having a claim to have ruled Ireland's most rugged western coast by both land and sea for over 40 years, even after her death, Grania Wales' place in history was not so much erased as it was never recorded. The only historical source we have for Ireland's Pirate Queen comes to us from English official state records, coming from Grania's frequent letters to her then-perceived enemy, Queen Elizabeth I, another woman who defied every custom, law and expectation of a woman in her time. It has been said that Grania Whale was relegated to myth, to folklore and to legend. Much like the heroes she echoed, the sovereignty goddess Eru, the trainer of heroes Skatok, and perhaps most similarly of all, Ireland's warrior queen Maeve of Connacht. It could be said becoming a character of folklore undermines the history and the actual deeds of the very real Grania Whale. Yet without folklore, we may never have heard of Ireland's pirate queen at all. Her story and her legend were passed down by word of mouth from generation to generation. She was commemorated in song and poetry until at last modern historians could unearth what truth they could from the limited resources at their disposal. Now the name of Grania Whale is as famous as any other Irish hero, historical or mythical. And the fact that she did indeed enter the realm of myth and folklore is, if anything, a true testament to her skill, charisma, and power as a leader. So that was a clip there from the Fireside podcast by Kevin C. Olohan. Um, and that episode was about uh, Gronuel or Grace O'Malley, uh, the uh, pirate queen from County Mayo, in fact. Um, fireside um, or storytelling may be something that you're interested in and if it is um, I would recommend you go find that uh, podcast you can find it on the usual spots for podcasts like Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher I'll put some links in um, the description of this um, podcast when we put it up on Podbean as well for you to find Um, Now, it could be that storytelling is not your thing, or it is your thing, but also sports is your thing. So if sport is what you're interested in and you would like to find, listen to a podcast with an Irish flavour, Second Captains might well be what you're looking for. A recent episode included an interview with um, a New Zealand rugby great, uh, the one and only Sonny Bill Williams. Let's have a quick listen to that one now. One of the biggest names in world rugby is on the second Captain's World Service this week. And we ask him, obviously, mostly about boxing. <laughs> oh, hey, Murph. On, on, what are we doing? What, uh, what, what came over us? I'll tell you what came over us, Murph. Myself and yourself have been out to the Monkstown Boxing Club, which operates in Sally Noggin out of St. Joseph's Boys Football Club, to meet the great Sonny Bill Williams, as well as being World Player of the Year in Rugby League and a two-time World Cup winner with the All Blacks in Union. Sonny Bill has also boxed professionally eight times, in fact. His current record stands at 8-0. and And his next fight is at the end of March in Sydney against Barry Hall. Does anyone remember big, that name? Big bad Barry Hall. Yeah, there's a few Irish International Rules players who would rather not hear mention of that guy's name again. He was quite mm-hmm. the bully, if I recall. <laughs> if I recall well, I mean, we're, we're mentioning it in the context of uh, hopefully, Sonny Bill Williams knocking the head off him. So, I mean, <laughs> this is, yeah, this there is, is there, yeah, there's got to, you've got to accentuate the positives here. 
to prepare for that one. Williams wanted the very best training and to get that he flew all the way to Dublin to work out with our friend Andy Lee and that is what has one of the biggest names in world sport let alone rugby working out in a sports hall in the noggin. It's quite surreal really but it happened. It is happening at the moment and we took full advantage to go out and meet the guys Andy and Sonny Bill given the week that's in it as well as the boxing chat we did talk a little bit of Six Nations as well I should say that. He was at the Ireland-Wales game and was especially pleased for an old friend. Pencil. Nice to see Bundiaki getting a try and see from your neck of the woods. Yeah, we, well, I caught up with him um, the day after the game and I was telling him, bro, stop hanging on the on the wing waiting for those meat pies, get in there and do some work. So, um, But yeah, it's great to see Bundy, James Lowe, you know, the Kiwi lads come over, not just for Ireland, but Wales, um, overseas, and, and, and make something of themselves and their families, you know, um, really Really uh, happy for Bundy and his family. I remember back at, in Chiefs in 2012, I think I told Andy the story, that um, he came in, he was just working at the bank, and he was a part-timer, and he was real loud, and I was thinking, who is this young fella, you know? And so on the, on, the, on the first day of training, he was talking it up, talking up, he's pointing at me, pointing at me, I got him, I got Sonny, I got Sonny. So I said, oh, I'm going to smash this guy, you know? <laughs> so anyway, they were exiting, I was on their try line, and, you know, you don't shoot up on the try line, you just hold and push. I said, nah, stuff this, I want to put, I'll put it on this kid, you know. You know, I rushed up and I looked in at a 10, threw a long ball. I threw a pass and Bundy bounced on the pass, got straight outside me and made a break. And the thing I said, he can play. Good on you, cuz. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, yeah. That's temperament. Yes. That is I let him go. I let him go through. <laughs> that was second captains there. And if, uh, as I say, a sports podcast is the thing that you're into, um, you could do worse than to um, have a listen to that one as you're out and about or you're doing your jobs. I should also say, that um, the second captains um, also broadcast um, a podcast by David O'Doherty, who is an Irish comedian that I would be a big fan of. And um, it was called the Isolating Podcast, although it got renamed the Insulating Tripod. Not sure what that's all about. Well, I kind of know, but um, uh, that was a lot of fun as well. And that um, there were three sort of series of that um, starting from March 2020 and then popping in and out um, until quite recently. So um, if David O'Doherty is something that you would like to listen to, you'll find him on Second Captains as well. Um, right then, our next podcast. Okay, this I'm a bit embarrassed, but I don't mind sharing because I'm among friends. Um, my favourite podcast from Ireland is one that I think appeals to, shall we say, women of a certain age, by which I mean late Gen X or early millennial who as preteens and teenagers were avid readers of the Sweet Valley High series of books. It was a uh, series based in California. It was about these twins, the Wakefield twins, and they were impossibly gorgeous. And they had boyfriends and everything at 16, which was amazing when you're 11 or 12 and you think, wow, when I'm 16, I'll be super grown up and I'll be driving around the place. I was not, by the way. <laughs> um, but anyway, in that podcast series, uh, book by book, Karen Moynihan and Anna Carey recap and share their thoughts on the absolute insanity of the ridiculous plots, the complete dereliction of any parental duty, the, the bullying, the just madness, uh, topped off with some stats and outfits. So we get to learn at the end of each episode uh, how many times did this book 
mention how blonde the Wakefield twins are because discerning fans like myself need to know. Um, let's have a few minutes to the, uh, let's have a listen to the first couple of minutes of the very first episode and see if this sounds like something that you'd be into. Hello and welcome to Double Love, the podcast in which we explore the strange and terrifying world of Sweet Valley High, book by book. I'm Anna Carey, a writer from Dublin. And I'm Karen Moynihan. I'm a graphic designer and Sweet Valley High recapper slash blogger. What an amazing title. I know. <laughs> I wish that I could officially describe myself thus, but now we can describe ourselves as Sweet Valley Podcasters. Podcasters, yeah. It's exciting. We are very excited about this. <laughs> and we're going to start by... Uh, Explaining our how we both discovered Sweet Valley our, our Sweet Valley journeys. Indeed. Um, so, Karen, I know you first read the books in kind of in the spirit in which they are intended. Yeah. So read. I would have been quite an earnest book loving eleven year old in primary school, um, just working my way through the shelf of Sweet Valley High books in the library in Dungarvan, loving them and just thinking Jessica was the coolest. You did think she was I the coolest. Did, did I you did. not see her evil? Honestly, uh, not. I just oh, thought dear. like she just does whatever she wants. It's amazing. <laughs> and in my head, I was like, I'm probably more like Elizabeth, you know, a bit boring. Whereas now yeah. I realise she was just a judgmental a-hole. Yeah. But um, well, I mean, there's really, it's like... <laughs> it's the benefit of hindsight, really. Isn't yeah, it? it's kind of a... They, it is a bit of a shit sandwich. This <laughs> there's no choice. Yeah, there's no, like... There's, there's not really a good option between no, the Wakefield twins. There really isn't. They're bad at their own terrible, mm. unique different ways unique and terrible ways <laughs> um, was it my Sweet Valley journey was slightly different mm. because I first discovered them um, around the time they came out but not by reading the actual books because we used to my family used to do our get the messages in the big shop Absolutely. Uh, in uh, Artane Castle in North Dublin and the supermarket ha- there was uh, a supermarket and there was also a bookstall come news agents and my sister Jenny and I this would have been in the mid 80s used to go in and just read the backs of the Sweet Valley High so tantalising <laughs> they were so tantalising and we knew who everybody was because of reading the blurbs mm. and uh, and looking at the covers but never actually read any of them and then by the time I did read them I was about 12 or 13 and I was sort of into like Paula Danziger kind of good cooler stuff well actually like sort of proper inverted commas <laughs> um, YA books so they just seemed kind of ridiculous and then when I was uh, in my late teens somehow a copy of Crash Landing Amazing. and Alone in the Crowd <laughs> two classics absolutely yeah um, appeared in my house and Jenny and disappeared I, one day <laughs> I genuinely can't remember how they got there they just like manifested and um, Jenny and I read them and just found them completely hilarious and kept finding them hilarious and just managed <laughs> to acquire through the charity shops of Dublin Amazing. a pretty much a complete collection and have just found them hilarious ever since. To the extent that when I was on my J1, when I was like 21, <laughs> I joined Boston Library to have, um, you know, to have a supply of books and I went to the teen section and uh, they had some sweet values I'd never read. Ooh. Uh, and including... The one where Todd returns from Vermont, Vermont. which for those who have not, uh, who are not as quite as, as familiar, <laughs> as worryingly familiar, Todd is, is Elizabeth Wakefield's longtime boyfriend. And then there's a period where he goes to Vermont and she goes mm. out with Jeffrey, Jeffrey French, who yeah. no one cares about. No one remembers. Really. <laughs> yeah, whatever, Jeffrey, get out of here. But we could, I could not, I'd never read the one where, you know, Todd returns mm. and I'd read one when he was back. And okay, yeah, you so skipped all the... Yeah, I hadn't the return missed. Yeah, I'd missed that bit. So I got a bunch of Sweet Valleys out of Boston Library, but I was so ashamed that I actually <laughs> said to the librarian, I'm writing a thesis on teen <laughs> literature. 
she didn't ask me. Like, this is, she didn't care. She, no, I just felt the shameful urge to explain myself. Amazing. Um, but What's great about that is that I would love to read someone's thesis about Sweet Valley High. So would I. Would be I would so into that. Why didn't I write it? You should have done it. You should have followed through on your lie. Oh, God. Well. Okay, we better stop there because I could just listen to the rest of that episode quite happily. Uh, that is Double Love. And um, you will find that in, again in the usual spots. Spotify, um, Stitcher, our podcast, etc. A lot of fun. Uh, really enjoy those recaps um, by Karen and Anna. Our final podcast on the agenda today is for those of you who would like to brush up on the Irish language. This one is called Nuatmal, and the premise here is Prefskelcha Nishaktana Lecha Gabal. That is to say, the week's main news stories read slowly in Irish. Um, I listened to a recent episode and I actually surprised myself with how much I understood. Let's see how you get on with this story about an Irish film that won at the Berlin Film Festival. Wui on Scanon, Dartegel on Colleen Kewen, on Grand Prix Serrano Gluen, New Generation, Egfela Idernoshunta, Scanon, Verlin. Isse on Heid Scanon Grelga, a Tasbona Egonvela, Augustur Schieter, Guvorshe, Kera Vauta Bula Bus, Unlocked Fechena, Sigarmon. Toga Ardwalla, Don Hinema to Grafiacht, Don Score agus on Ashdor Og Catherine Clinch, atos a free fort. Neil Catherine a Rav Lian Deg Deish, agus is Aisha a Cade Fort. Is a on Colleen Kuhn, on Cade Scanon Fada, egon Sturahor Colum Barred, agus egon Lairahor Cleona Nichruli, on Golucht Inscale. Tawn Scanon Boniha er scale de Ridge Clare Keegan in a inchither scale hot. Colleen Og neem Lena de Ish o Hyluck a tho row flodaha agus me I mule. Agus a herter er hul con coni le tishmahori altrama don saura e. So that was an excerpt there from North Mao. Um, and uh, or North Gamal, I should say. Um, I really love the idea of this podcast because I found at least that it could really help me tune my ear into the Irish language. And um, I would say if you give it a go, you might soon feel confident enough to join Finbar and the group Cora, because um, I know they would be very welcoming. So if that's what you want to do, and then uh, and you just want to brush up on your Irish, um, this could be a podcast um, that could be helpful for you. Well, listeners, that is all that I've got for you on today's program. I really hope you enjoyed um, listening to some snippets of podcasts and I hope that you can find something uh, that you like to listen to when you're uh, doing those gardening jobs or out and about um, because I definitely find um, a lot of those really worthwhile listening to. We're going to finish up since we played a song from um, our, our Irish school days uh, earlier with Orosha the Vahavalia. Um, we will finish with something similar. This is Trasnanadunta uh, across the waves, and uh, thank you for listening to Capital Irish on Wellington Access Radio 106 FM. Slán Gafol. Mm-hmm.
been listening to Capital Irish on Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM thanks to the generosity of our sponsors. We couldn't be here without them. Our sponsors are Wellington Irish Trust, Susie and Peter McGuinness and the Hutt Valley Irish Society. A very big thank you from all of us on the Capital Irish team. That programme was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.